this is Pastor Nate Ward with Open Door Church, and I wanted to take a moment to welcome you to our podcast. It's my personal prayer that you would be encouraged and encountered by the Holy Spirit and challenged by His Word. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Pagosa Springs. I'm happy to be here. Um, when, when Pastor Nate invited us to come, I was like, uh, well, how can we deny Pagosa Springs, Colorado? It's a beautiful place, and um, we're doing more fun things than we are ministry, which ministry's fun, but we're like doing a bunch of fun things. So it's been a blast and a beautiful place to be. Um, this church holds a special place in my heart. I came here um, 10 years ago, and uh, we, we were praying before service. Uh, it, well, it was actually the night before the service, and I was laying over here praying um, like I normally do, like just a regular prayer, and the Lord got a hold of me and began to, to shake me uh, physically. Like I, I've never felt that manifestation of the Spirit where I was shaken. <clears throat> and um, it, was, it was weird, it was different, but it was powerful. And uh, we went to the, we were staying in a cabin, and, and the whole night I was, I was waking up shaking and, and, and found myself praying in tongues. Um, and it, it was a moment that, that changed my life, that, that wrecked me um, and has made an impact still today on who I am. And so I appreciate this church, a small little church in a small little town where God is doing big and powerful things <clears throat> because he's a big and powerful God. Um, and, and Pastor Nate has stewarded that spirit well. Like, that's, I mean, that's 10 years ago, and, and here I am today and, and feeling the presence of the Lord. Like, the Lord comes where he's welcome. The Lord re- reveals himself where he feels the freedom to do so. And so Pastor Nate is a, a great man of God. And, uh, and there are some great stories I could share um, where we fought a lot. <laughs> and he, he got on my nerves and I got on his nerves. One, uh, one thing I'll share with you, uh, I shared this with my students last night. Um, one of the most annoying things about your pastor is that he doesn't know how to pray quiet. Um, and so our, we, we lived together for a while and I like to sleep in. Anybody else? Okay, a few people. You guys are such great people. I'm like, Lord, I'll pray at night and a little bit in the morning. But he would be up just praying, waking me up, and I'm like, boy. <laughs> but it would, it would actually wake me up, and then I'd feel conviction, like, okay, I want to be a better Christian than him, and so I'd get up and <laughs> pray. Um, but anyway, I, I want to I wanna step into the message um, <clears throat> this morning that I, I do feel is a word from the Lord for you today. Um, and I want to start off with asking a question. How many in here ever get frustrated? Oh, great. I'm speaking in the right room. Uh, maybe you're frustrated right now. You don't have to raise your hands on that one. Maybe a person sitting next to you made you late this morning and you're a little bit frustrated with them. Um, or maybe you're frustrated with life and uh, on, on a more serious level, frustrated with how things have turned out, frustrated with the circumstances of life, um, wondering why life doesn't always go or rarely goes as planned. I am a planner. I like to plan down to the minute with everything I do. When my wife and I go on a date, I plan, okay, we'll, we'll 
dinner has to end at 7.37 so that we can get to the movies 18 minutes early and use the restroom and get, uh, like, get our snacks. And, you know, I plan it out and I drive my family a little bit crazy because I am a planner. Um, I'm also a linear thinker where I think that life uh, should work out like a mathematical equation. If I do this, then these things will happen. If I avoid these certain situations, then I'll also avoid these certain outcomes. If I pray, God will answer. Amen. If I'm obedient, then there will be blessing in my life. And so I love scriptures like ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. This is like A plus B equals C. Scriptures like that are all over the Bible. And in my Bible, they're highlighted. I love those verses. But there are other scriptures that I kind of avoid highlighting. Um, scriptures like Psalm 35. <clears throat> in Psalm 35, verse 13 and 14, it says, When my prayers returned to me unanswered, wait, what? When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning. This is King David who wrote this. In Psalm chapter 6, um, I'm going to skip around a little bit in there, but Psalm chapter 6, uh, it says, Have mercy on me, Lord. I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. I thought when you sign up for Christianity, you sign up for life to the fullest, life more abundantly, joy, exceeding everything. You know, this is a great life, and it is a great life, but you don't expect my soul to be in deep anguish. And David says, how long, Lord, how long? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail me because of all my foes. And isn't life like this sometimes? We scream out to the Lord, how long, Lord? My soul is in anguish. I'm worn out from calling out to you and, and seemingly not receiving an answer from you. Seemingly, my prayers are going unanswered. And when life is like this, we tend to lose our faith and our hope because life doesn't go as planned. And this can be frustrating. When we obey God, and it seems like it makes no difference, we show up to the prayer meeting at 9 a.m. Or, or we go to Deeper Project, and, and we're hoping that the Lord will bring breakthrough, and, and it seems to make no difference at times. And then... You have your coworkers or your friends who are rebelling against the Lord and don't care about the Lord, and it seems like life is going great for them. That happens many times. When I was a teenager, um, I was challenged to uh, memorize a big chunk of Psalm chapter 37. And in Psalm 37, it starts out like this. It says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And I like this verse because it's like linear thinking. If you do bad, you get bad. Those who do wrong will soon wither and will soon die away. Amen? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's in the Bible. We can say amen to it. But um, I like this verse because, because it says, if you do bad, you get bad. Um, but what I don't like is it says, the wicked will flourish and like green plants. Green plants are beautiful. Green plants are, are flourishing. They're like, green, uh, um, like grass. And in verse 7 it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. 
when they carry out their wicked schemes. Anybody else have a problem with that? People succeeding when they go their way and not God's way. When they succeed in carrying out their wicked schemes. I think there shouldn't be success there, Lord. Meet them with failure. Amen again to that. (laughs) But when we study the scriptures and we study history, the history of the church, the history of God's people, people who follow after the Lord, we find that many times the wicked seem to flourish while the obedient are met with pain. And, uh, and yeah, this is what we find. Do you guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Three Hebrew boys who stood for the Lord. They honored God's name. They refused to bow their knee. They refused to go with culture. Um, they did the right thing, and their obedience was met with pain. Because they obeyed, they were thrown into the fire. Because they obeyed. Had they not obeyed, they wouldn't have been thrown into a fiery furnace. And sometimes when I, I read stories like this, it doesn't sit well with me um, until I read the rest of the story. At this point, I kind of know, okay, the end is coming. Um, but when we read the rest of the story, we see, okay, they were obedient. Their obedience was met with pain, but it was in the pain that they encountered God. It was in the fire that a miracle came about. And so those who avoided the fire, the, the rest of the nation, who, I, I don't want to be thrown in the fire. Like, of course God doesn't want me to, to, to die because then how can I be a light for him? So I'm just going to bow my knee to the idol. I, I, I don't want to, like, of course God wants me to, to be with my family. And so I, I, I need to bow my knee to, to culture and do what culture is doing. Those who bowed their knee, those who avoided the fire also avoided God. Those who avoided the pain missed out on a miracle. And how many times have we accidentally avoided God? I don't, I don't think that we're running from God. Some, sometimes people are in seasons where they run from God. But what about those who are not running from God? They're seeking the Lord's face, but they accidentally miss God because they're trying to avoid pain. Because pain is not good. Pain is not enjoyable. How many times have we missed a miracle because we were running from the fire, because the heat was too intense? I think I could safely say that a lot of us have missed God, especially as Americans. Um, It's in our value system. The value system of our culture is happiness. We love to be happy. It's written in our Declaration of Independence that we are endowed with a certain unalienable right by our Creator to pursue what? Happiness. And then the, the next sentence goes on to say that people have the right to alter or abolish any government that would likely affect their safety or happiness. And all Second Amendment people said, amen, right? So by the third sentence, we see happiness uh, coming up two times in our Declaration of Independence. And so we see that the value system of this culture, this country that we live in, is happiness. Pursue what makes you happy. That's why we often hear do what makes you happy. And, 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 and I hear this a lot with, uh, with my students. I hear parents, not, not these ones. You guys have great parents. But a lot of times parents will say, um, if they're happy, I'm happy. You know? and, and even though this, I don't agree with this decision, I think it's going to be harmful. But if they're happy, I'm happy. This cultural belief um, that we have is, is that the aim of our lives is to be happy. And I want to pause real quick. I'm not against happiness. I'm not a hater of happiness. I actually love happiness. I'm happy today. Amen. 
Happiness is, is when our circumstances are going in our favor, and so our circumstances create happiness. But there's something that's greater than happiness, and that's joy. Joy transcends happiness because joy is not due to my circumstances. My circumstances can be wild, but there's a joy of the Lord in my heart because there's, a, there's an expectation of, of who He is and what He's going to do. And so I'm not here to condemn happiness, but I am here to say that happiness is a cheap vision for life. Happiness is a cheap vision of life because if happiness is your goal, then pain is your enemy. And I, I really, I want to, man, I just ask the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you now that you would really evaluate, Lord, what are my true motives? What are the, what's my true goal in this life? Because I, I think it's easy to say, Lord, whatever it takes, I want, I want to please you. I think it's easy to say that, but, but it's harder to mean that and say, I'm not pursuing happiness. Lord, I'm pursuing holiness. The greater thing is holiness. If pain is the enemy, we'll do anything we can to avoid the enemy. But when we avoid pain, many times we are avoiding God. Not always. Not always is, is pain, uh, you know, something that the Lord brings about. Um, many times pain is something that we bring about ourselves because we make dumb decisions. Anybody been there? I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, man, I'm trying to get myself out of that. Quit making stupid decisions. This was brought on by yourself. Many times pain is, is, is the circumstances that are built up by the evil world that we live in. Like the fire was built by Nebuchadnezzar. It, it was not, like the, the Lord did not start this fire, but the Lord was waiting in the fire and he was willing to meet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they obediently walked into the fire because they refused to bow their knee. I've often found though that God is inviting us into pain in order to show himself to us and to reveal deeper levels of himself. How would, how, how would Christians ever be able to say God is a healer if Christians never got sick? If Christians never got disease and cancer, how could Christians ever say God is a comforter? And I know that because I was in deep depression. I was in mourning. My soul was in deep anguish and the Lord comforted me. If we never have been in the dark places, the, 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 the lonely places, the hard places, the painful places, how can we say that God is the Savior? God rescued me from, from, from the pit. You redeemed my life from the pit and crowned me with love and compassion. How can we say those things if we've never gone into the dark places, the lonely places? God will oftentimes invite us into a dark place in order to transform and develop us. Even when pain is the consequence of the evil world that we live in, God will meet us there. And so the goal of our life must not be happiness, but holiness. Write that down. Write it on your head. Write it on your heart. Not literally on your head. You, know, you might look a little strange, but uh, Pagosa Springs can be a little bit hippie, so they might be like, hey, that's cool. Cool tattoo. Um, but holiness is the goal of our life. And, and, and part of holiness is, is maturity, wholeness, being, being spiritually mature, spiritually complete, and, and, and lacking nothing, where you're, you're full. And if, if you in here would say, I want at the end of my life for it to be said of me that I'm spiritually complete, I'm mature, and I lack nothing. The Lord has made me a mature, complete person. Um, if that's you today, there's good news. 
because the Bible gives us an A plus B equals C equation in Scripture on how to get to maturity. The Bible tells us that there's a path to maturity. There's a path to completion. There's a path that leads to uh, the lack of nothing. But here's what you may not like. Maybe you know where I'm going. That, that, that path, that trail to, to completion is a trail called trials. So I want us to read together James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When I read this, I like to look at it in the reverse order. If my goal, at the end of my life, I want to be mature, complete, and not lacking anything, then I must allow perseverance to finish its work. And in order to produce perseverance, my faith needs to be tested in many, with many trials. Trials of many kinds. And so I have like a, a little equation. I don't know if we have the equation. Um, trials equals, trials of many kinds equals the testing of my faith. That's okay. Um, trials of many kinds equals the testing of my faith. And the testing of my faith equals perseverance. And this is where many of us tap out. This is where many of us will jump ship because we don't allow perseverance to finish its work. As soon as we feel the heat, we bow our knee to the idols of, of our culture. We bow our knee to comfort. We bow our knee to, to, to happiness because the heat is too intense. Lord, I've endured some pain, but now, I mean, I mean, like, I was persecuted for you, Lord, and it's been a whole week. Come on, right? We are not allowing it to, to last, allow perseverance to finish its work. And instead of getting in the fire and looking for Jesus, sometimes we're in the fire, but our eyes aren't looking for Jesus. God, how can I find you here? Here, God, what are you trying to do in me? What we'll do is we'll try to numb the pain and we'll pull out our phones and look at pictures of uh, Antarctica or something. You know, what if, what if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had phones at that, uh, at that time? Maybe they, they would have, you know. They would have been tempted to, I'm sure, to let me just look at something to help numb what's going on around me. Instead of having eyes looking for Jesus, looking for the fourth one in the fire that looks like the Son of Man. Oftentimes we'll we want to silence the roar of the flames that's going on around us by turning on TV and, and numbing the pain. We don't allow perseverance to finish its work, but if we will allow perseverance to finish its work, we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we must know that there is a purpose to pain, and although pain hurts, it's good. It's good for us. And so I want to give just a couple of examples from Scripture. One of the first um, examples that we see modeling this out for us is Joseph. Joseph is the youngest of his siblings. He's the favorite of his father. Anybody in here? The favorite child? Okay, some of you know, you know. He's the favorite of his child, or, or of his, uh, the favorite of his father. Um, and Joseph gets two dreams from God. Both of these dreams promise that he's going to be a ruler of some type, that his family and specifically his brothers will one day bow to him. And so Joseph has the most human reaction that any of us would have. 
He's excited. I'm going to be a ruler. My brothers are going to bow to me. They've been bullying my, me my whole life, and they're going to bow to me. Yes, what a glorious life, right? He just won the lottery. This is a big deal. Like, if you find out you're going to be the ruler of a nation, this is a big deal. And so Joseph is excited about that. He gets a promise from God that he'd be the ruler, and he believes it by faith, and he declares it with joy. I know there's, there's a lot of people that say that, well, Joseph was being haughty and arrogant by declaring it to his brothers. Maybe, honestly, maybe, but we don't know. Like, maybe he was declaring it with faith. Like, God told me, and he starts to tell him this dream. I don't know. Seems a little cocky, but it could have been just full of faith. And he declares, and the very next thing that happens to him, in just a matter of days, He's almost murdered. He's thrown into a pit. He's exiled from his country, and he's sold into slavery. This is the very opposite of the promise. The promise was ruler, but the reality was slavery. In his dream, he sees a throne, but instead he gets thrown into a pit. I wonder, has anything like that ever happened to you? God promised you something, but your reality looks nothing like the promise. Your children are rebelling. Maybe some of you have been praying, God, grab a hold of my kids. They've been running from you, and you've been praying for them, and you feel like the Lord's going to answer, and it's like, when, Lord? How long, Lord? Maybe your marriage is, is not doing too well, and you've, you've said, we're going to follow, follow the, uh, the scriptures. We're going to do what your word says, and, and even then, it's like things just don't seem to be getting better. Maybe your business is falling apart. Maybe your health is declining, and your prayers seem to be returning to you unanswered. Maybe God promised you things, and you have big dreams. You're, you're a young adult, and you have big dreams. God's put promises. You're giving dreams to you. It's like, okay, Lord, it's been three years. It's been four years. What's going on? You saw ruler, but your reality looks more like slavery. You saw joy and happiness, but instead you're full of pain. You thought you knew the answer. You thought God gave you the answers to the problems that you were facing, but life seems to be making you full of doubts and full of questions. And this is where our faith gets shaky, and we can cry out like David and say, where are you, God? How long, Lord, did I hear you right? Maybe I was mistaken. I mean, I wonder if Joseph ever thought that. Maybe that was not a dream from God. Or, or, or maybe I did something to get my dreams torn from me. God promised me I'd be a ruler, but maybe I did something, and that's why my, my brothers threw me into a pit, and that's why I'm now in Egypt. I don't understand. Maybe I, I did something to deserve this pain that I'm enduring. What did I do wrong? The story continues with Joseph, and many of you know he's, he's a slave in, in, in Egypt, and he honors God. And he honors his master. He avoids sexual immorality. He does what is right. He obeys God. And you know what that gets him? It gets him thrown into prison. Had Joseph not honored God, we don't know that he would be in prison. Probably wouldn't have been. But because he was obedient, he's thrown into prison. Then there's another character. Many of you know him. King David. <clears throat> and before David is king, He's young, faith-filled. He honors God. He's a worshiper. He's a man after God's own heart. He's courageous, and he's the anointed king of Israel. Many scholars believe that David was anointed when he was about 15 years old. Can you imagine how big that would make your head as a teenager, a 15-year-old? Like, I'm going to be the king. That's amazing. But he's anointed as the king. He's called. He's promised that he's going to be the next king of Israel. 
And almost immediately after this happening, David runs for his life. He lives the next decade of his life hiding in the wilderness from evil King Saul who is pursuing him. He's pursued for about 10 to 15 years, and the promise looked, uh, the reality looked nothing like the promise. This is not what David signed up for. When David is anointed king, I mean, he, he sees palaces, and he sees money, and he sees blessing and, and favor. But his reality was the side of a cave wall where he's cold and he's hiding and he's on edge and he's full of anxiety. When is Saul going to capture me? Am I going to ever get caught? Am I going to die out here starving? What about my family? There's a lot of fear involved. This isn't what David signed up for, but here's what I've learned. There is a process between anointing and appointing. David was anointed king at age 15, but David wasn't appointed king until he was 30 years old. And so there is this process of development that needs to happen between the anointing and the appointing. We see the same thing happening with Joseph. Joseph is 17 years old when he receives the dream that his brothers will bow down to him. And it's not until 22 years later, when he's 39 years old, that the dream becomes a reality and and his brothers bow before him. 22 years. There's a process of development that must happen in our lives if we are to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The Lord wants to mature you. The Lord wants you to bring you wants to bring you to a place of, of holiness. But that road, that trail, is going to be full of a lot of trials. Just like Joseph, just like David, Elijah, and Paul. They were met with trial after trial, heartache after heartache, disappointment after disappointment. It was a path of pain, but there was purpose in the pain. In the pain, God was developing these young dreamers. It was in the dark and lonely place that God was maturing future kings. It was in the pain that made these saints. And so trials that tested everything inside of them, trials that tested their faith, but produced in them perseverance, and they allowed perseverance to finish its work. I wonder the stories that aren't in Scripture because we see that perseverance didn't finish its work. They, they were anointed. I mean, well, there's plenty of, there's plenty of people like that in Scripture that they, they jumped out of the fire when it got too hot. They, they got cocky. They got haughty. Maybe you're in a tough place right now. Maybe your reality looks nothing like the dream God put in your heart. Maybe you're far from being mature, complete, and not lacking anything. Maybe you're in a dark place. Maybe you're in a lonely place. Maybe you feel like God is far off. Maybe you're frustrated and saying, God, where are you? God, we've been praying for our church. We've been praying for our city. And God, we're not seeing you do what we're asking. We're asking for salvation. We're asking for revival. God, we're not seeing it. God, I'm asking you to move in my life, in my physical body. God, what's happening? Where are you? I'm worn out from my groaning. My soul is in deep anguish. If you're in that place, remember, it is in the dark, lonely place that God develops us. Just like a baby develops in a dark place, in a lonely place, so God develops us in a dark, lonely, and oftentimes confusing place. And so if you're there, um, maybe you're not there. Maybe your life's going great, and that's amazing. Um, but, but just know that this is part of Christianity. If we're going to follow Jesus, we are going to walk down roads that we don't necessarily want to. Just like Jesus walked down the road to the cross. 
It wasn't something, he said, not, this is not my will. It's your will, Father, and so it will be done. We're going to face trials like this. And so when we do, what do we do in the meantime? I want to um, look at the, the, the ending of David's decade in the wilderness. He's, he's running from, God, or from Saul for a decade. He's running from cave to cave, escaping death over and over again. His prayers are returning to him unanswered. He's at his wit's end. And then there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 30. David has been, um, he comes back to the city that he was hiding in. He, he had left for a, a military voyage. And he comes back and he, he finds that the entire city that he had been in, that he left his family in, that his wife was in, had been destroyed by fire. So in, in verse 3, it says the city had been destroyed by fire and the wives and the sons of the men who were with uh, David, their, their wives and sons and daughters had been taken captive. And so David and his men wept aloud and they wept until they had no strength left to weep. Ever been there before? David's two wives had been captured. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. And just four verses later, after that happens, David musters up the strength to go and take back what the enemy had stolen from him. It says that there was a third of the army who was with him that was too exhausted to go any further. They were physically exhausted. They were emotionally exhausted. They were spiritually exhausted. God, what's going on? We thought we were following the king, but it seems to not be the truth because our wives are gone. Our children are gone. They're exhausted. But David finds strength in the Lord as God, and he, he perseveres, and he takes back what the enemy had stolen. And the very next story that we read, Saul, the enemy, takes his life. And now David's decade of darkness is over, and he's finally appointed king. And so I want to just, for the last part of my message, focus on, on this. David found strength in the Lord his God. What does that mean? That means that David didn't jump ship. When life was tough, he didn't blame God. He didn't get angry with God, which he very could have, very easy easily could have done. Like, God, what's going on? Like, you told me that I was going to be a king and that there were going to be descendants after me. Well, now both of my wives have been taken. Like, everything is gone from me. I thought I was supposed to be king. I thought you, you, you had called me from a young age. What's going on? He could have said, I'm done with this. I'll never be king. But instead, he goes to the Lord and he finds strength in the Lord. I want to read Isaiah chapter 40. Many of you probably know this, um, this, passage of scripture, it says that God gives strength to the weary. God increases the power of the weak. So if you're weary or you're feeling weak, take hope in this, that God will give you strength and that he gives power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's an old song where this, this verse was just turned into a song. It says, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And then it turns it into a prayer. It says, teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. There's something powerful about waiting upon the Lord and finding strength in the Lord your God and continuing to put one foot in front of the other. 
In Hebrew, this word wait is not like we think of, of wait, like waiting at the grocery store, waiting at a, a stoplight, and, and you know the light turns green, and then the person in front of you doesn't go, and you're like, why are you still waiting? And, you know, anybody do that? No, this is this Pagosla. I heard about that. Nate was telling me about Pagosla. You guys are relaxed, but sometimes I get angry with that. And I'm like, I don't want to wait anymore. But this kind of waiting is, is not, biblical waiting is not that kind of waiting. Biblical waiting doesn't mean to sit still and do nothing. Biblical waiting is active waiting, waiting in expectation. The word in Hebrew means to expect or to patiently tarry. I'm coming to prayer every Sunday. Even if, if I, there wasn't a breakthrough, I'm coming and I'm patiently tearing. I'm going to continue to pray for my, my lost family member or my friend that I've been praying for. I'm going to continue to pray until I see the breakthrough. This means that we endure the fire, that we persevere through the pain, and we look for God. When the world is full of chaos, we wait upon the Lord. We remain faithful. We remain full of hope, being steadfast, holding on to the hope that you have in God and in his mighty power. And so I want to encourage you, church, to persevere and to not give up, not, not give up doing what is good, pursuing the Lord don't run from pain. Don't get off the trail of trials. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have bowed their knee. Joseph could have thrown in the tail, towel. David could have called it quits, but they all waited upon the Lord. And because they waited upon the Lord, they found strength in the Lord, their God. And at the end of Joseph's life, he has this insight. And he can see how God was using all of these terrible events in his life for his good. In, in, in Genesis chapter 45, I want you to read this with me. In verse 7, it says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He doesn't say, You guys sent me here. The devil sent me here. He says, God sent me ahead of you. The Lord knew what was going on. The good, good father sent his son Joseph sent Joseph, his child, to, into slavery, into Egypt. And so Joseph is now able to see all of this pain, all of this suffering, all the years of waiting were full of purpose. They were full of meaning. God used it to save many lives by a great deliverance. God brought life and salvation out of grief, out of loss, betrayal, and heart-rending pain. And we see this same thing happening in Jesus Jesus goes through the deepest, darkest torment. And because of that comes salvation. Our team, human video team, you guys can come up. They're going to do a, a quick little skit or, or video for us. Um, and, and I think about the disciples. When, when they were following Jesus, they're living a pretty good life, right? They're following the king of the universe. I think that's a pretty awesome thing to do, right? They, they, the king of the universe is their friend. The anointed Messiah has arrived, and they know that he's going to bring deliverance from the enemy. And Jesus tells them um, that you have nothing to worry about. He says, do not fear. You have nothing to fear. And shortly after he tells them, I give you peace. Fear not. Don't be worried. Shortly after that, he's arrested. He's put on trial, and he's beaten, he's hung on a cross, and he dies. You just told us not to worry. You just told us we have nothing to worry about. You just, you just told us peace, 
my peace I give to you. What? Can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Now full of anxiety. They just killed my best friend and my leader. I was his follower. What's happening to me next then? Maybe there's anger in the disciples' heart. Like, you told us you were the Messiah, and now you're in a grave. Maybe there's depression there. You're my friend. Like, even, even, if, even if I was led to believe the wrong thing, maybe you weren't the Messiah. Like, they're full of doubts. But you were my friend, and now my friend is dead in the grave. There's fire all around them. Fear, anxiety, depression, anger. But because we know the end of the story, we know that in three days, Jesus comes back to life uh, with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And our human video team is going to show us a little example of this real quick. So you guys can come up. Uh, that human video, just uh, my wife and I were praying and asking the Lord of what what message he would want us to portray in our human video uh, this year. And, and, and that seemed like the right answer, that this world is full of chaos right now. Um, there's a lot of reason, valid reasons for depression and fear and anger, um, anxiety. And um, it's, it's easy to wonder, God, are, are you hearing our prayers? We've been praying for our nation. God, we've been praying for breakthrough. God, where are you? And, and that's just the world we all live in. And I don't know your life. Like, what about you and what's going on in you and your personal circumstances? I don't know what fires you're facing, but I want to encourage you today to wait upon the Lord, to put your hope and your expectation in Him, to patiently tarry with the Lord because He comes through. He always does. He always does. He's faithful. He's faithful. And so if you guys want to stand up, I want to close with reading um, an excerpt from a, a woman named Kimberly H Henderson. She said, I would have pulled Joseph out, out of that pit, out of that prison, out of that pain. But I would have cheated nations out of the one that God would use to deliver them from famine. And I would have pulled David out out of Saul's spear-throwing presence, out of the caves that he hid away in. I would have pulled David out of the pain of rejection. I would have also, though, cheated Israel out of a God-hearted king. I would have pulled Esther out, out of being snatched from her own family, out of being placed in a position she never asked for, out of the paths of a vicious, power-hungry foe. But I would have cheated people out of a woman that God would use to save their very lives. And I would have pulled Jesus off, off of the cross, off of the road that led to suffering and pain, off of the path that would mean nakedness and beatings, nails and thorns. But I would have cheated the entire world out of a savior, out of salvation, out of an eternity filled with no more suffering and no more pain. And oh friend, I want to pull you out. I want to change your path. I want to stop your pain. But right now, I know I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I would be cheating you and cheating the world out of so much good because God knows. He knows the good this pain will produce. He knows the beauty this hardship will grow. He's watching over you and he's keeping you even in the midst of this. He's promising that you can trust him even when it feels like 
It's all more than you can bear. And so instead of pulling you out, I'm lifting you up. I'm encouraging you to keep on. And I want to encourage you to keep on. I want to put courage into you. And remember, Jesus was a man of many sorrows. Jesus was a man of suffering. Jesus was familiar with pain. And so Jesus knows exactly how to help you. Jesus knows exactly how to strengthen you and how to comfort you in your weakness. There is purpose in your pain. And so I want to encourage you to take hope, wait upon the Lord, and expect Expect his word to be true, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want to encourage you lastly to stand your ground. Ephesians chapter 6 says stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. Hold on to his promises. Set your hope and your expectations upon him. He is faithful and he's fulfilling his promises. We just need to wait on him. And so I asked Pastor Adam to uh, lead us in, in a final song, um, which is, is a prayer, and a prayer that's a tough prayer to pray. It's, it's, it's about the refiner. It's asking God to refine me no matter the cost. Because Lord, the end goal of my life is maturity, completion, holiness, not lacking anything. God, I I just want to be right with you. I want to be like you and whatever it takes. And so he calls out this prayer is calling out refiner to the refiner's fire. Lord, bring me through the fire, whatever it takes. That's a hard prayer to honestly pray. It's easy to sing, but it's a hard prayer to honestly pray. And I just want you all to spend some time answering to the Lord in that. And I think that for the next few moments, if you guys come to the front or you stay where you're at, I think that there are some people in here who need to repent. Like, re repent for jumping out of the fire. God, I, 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 I jumped ship. The, the fire got too hot, and, and, and I said, okay, I bow my knee then to comfort. I bow my knee to, to, to happiness. I refused you, and I, I, I went after my own will. I didn't do what Jesus did by, by taking on your will over his will, the Father's will. And so... Um, Maybe you need to repent for that. Maybe you need to repent for you're, you're in a fire right now and you're just numbing yourself. Watching pornography, drinking, binging on, on, on Netflix and, and on social media, trying to numb the pain because right now I'm in a fire and I don't like it and there's pain and there's fear and there's anxiety and, and, I, and I just want to numb it and distract myself instead of pressing into the Lord and waiting upon him, looking at his face. I love Hebrews chapter 12 that, that tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So fix your eyes on Jesus so that you will not lose hope. And so uh, Pastor Adam's going to lead us and you can stay in your seats, you can come to the front, but I, I think that this is going to be a time for you to respond to this message and what the Lord has been speaking to you. Father, we love you and Lord, we thank you for what you've done um, for us on the cross. Lord, I thank you for the example that you gave us. Jesus, you endured the worst pain, the loneliest place, being rejected, being forsaken and abandoned but it brought about salvation. I thank you for your example. And Father, today we wait upon you. 
we wait upon the Lord. Father, may we find strength in your presence. Give strength to the weary today. I ask in Jesus' name, refine us, Lord, no matter the cost. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Our ministry is made possible entirely by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this message and would like to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, visit us online at www.opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give, see our service times, and stay connected with Open Door Church. We hope to see you soon.